Welcome back to the pod. This is Andrew Shoemaker. I'm Rob Thomason, and with us today we have a special guest. Hello, I'm Lauren Fox. Great to be here. What do you do? Well, I'm an ER nurse, so I and I have zero film and cinematography, whatever background. But you're not so. a dude, which is great. Exactly. <laughs> Why else are you Diversity. here? Diversity. Because we're married. Oh, cool. And it was really easy <laughs> to get me on. Nice. <laughs> Before this podcast uh. began, what was your idea of Elvis? I know that my grandmother loved Elvis. Um, one time she was like, oh, I love Elvis so much because he never took a music lesson in his life. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. And then I also knew that he died on the toilet. Mm. So that's, that's all I knew as well. That's about it. Okay, well, the movie we're going to talk about today is G.I. Blues. Mm. It uh, came out on November 23rd, 1960. It's after Elvis spends two years uh, in Germany in the military. There's going to be a lot of time spent in this episode to talking about that intermittent period just because it's two years of Elvis's life and there's a lot to cover. I know that originally we had set out saying we're only going to talk about the movies and we were really only going to approach anything we knew about Elvis is what we could find out through the movies. But at this point, I kind of do think it's inescapable to talk about his career without talking about a lot of his personal life and a lot of the stuff that happens, especially during this time, Mm -hmm. um, because we're... We're going to get into some troublesome waters. In a lot of the stuff I've read, Elvis is a gentleman, at least on set. And we know that he's maybe a bit of a womanizer, but there's never been any any issues that we've come across necessarily. But that might change a little bit today. Oh, okay. We just kind of have to talk about it. After King Creole was released, Monday, March 24th, Elvis was sworn in into the military. He's joined the U.S. Army, got his GI haircut, and he coined the phrase, hair today. Gone tomorrow. Whoa. Uh, it was so also, he did get the GI cut. It wasn't the straight flat buzz, but it's a much shorter version of they the Elvis haircut. They, gave, they had to give him some favoritism. They gave him like a military <laughs> version of Elvis it, hair. It wasn't as close a shave as others were. Yeah, there. yeah. Privilege. But it was over the next month during basic training that Elvis's mother Gladys became seriously ill, and uh, she ended up having to return to Memphis for treatment. He went home to see her on emergency leave. And in early August, she was diagnosed with hepatitis. Oh. So her condition worsened really quickly, and she ended up dying in You August. probably know things about hepatitis, Lauren, as an ER nurse. You turn yellow. You get jaundice. Ooh. There, he had a yellow mom from jaundice. <laughs> there was also a lot of reports that this was complicated with her starting to drink a lot Alcoholism, more towards the yes. end of her life as well. Uh, Speaking of which, is a great time to mention <laughs> that we are currently having some hot buttered rums, as this is almost the holiday oh, yeah. season. Clink. Come on, come to the toast. To oh, yeah. Give them the slurps. It's lots of spices. Anyway. So, anyway, drinking so causes... So, Elvis's mom died. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so she died on August 14th, 1958, at only 46. But growing up, he was really, really close to his parents and his mom in particular. He had issues sleepwalking. So he rarely spent a night sleeping in a separate room from her until he was an adult because he was terrified of... There was multiple incidents growing up where he nearly hurt himself or just got in a weird situation because he would sleepwalk a lot. Whoa, interesting. You know, one time I was sleepwalking as a child and my mom was out in the living room and little Lauren walks out. She's walking out to the living room. Mom's like, Lauren, what are you doing? And I walk up to the very front door and I'm trying to open it. Luckily, they deadbolted it. And I'm like, I have to go to the bathroom. And so I started to pull my pants down right in the living room. I was like, no, no. She like picks it up and like throws me in the bathroom. And then later, like a night or two later, I thought I tried to fake it. 
And so I'm walking like a zombie, like you fake my, sleepwalking, like peeking my eyes open. And she's like, Lauren, no, go back to bed. I slept walk once as a kid and crazy part about it. My dad heard rumbling upstairs, came upstairs. I wasn't in my bedroom, but he, then he heard something from my sister's room, came in. Ooh. This gets dark, but it, it turns out OK. <laughs> my pants down. I was very young. <laughs> and my dad goes, what? What are you doing? And I was like, I gotta go to the bathroom. So I almost peed on my sister. <laughs> True story. Then he took me back to the room, put, tucked me, like took me to the bathroom. He heard a flush, tucked me in bed, <laughs> came up to check on me later just to be like, please, what? Did your sister wake up? No, she, she never woke up. Well, and and I was upside down in the bed. My feet were on the pillow. My head was under the covers. He, he fixed me again, and then I woke up the next day. Well, that's better than the way he found you before. So Yeah, and fun fact, the reason it happened was because I got Kirby on Nintendo, mm-hmm. and I had played it for literally like 15 hours before going to sleep. So I think it kind of did a number in my brain. So I'm just like Elvis. Hey, well, let's, let's reserve judgment all? on that till the end of this podcast. <laughs> I know we haven't talked about her a lot, but Gladys was a very important figure in Elvis's life. She had taken care of him all the way from the time they were in public housing in Tupelo until they lived at Graceland. So she was a very constant presence. Uh, at, at her funeral, the Associated Press reported he was at near hysteria, was weeping constantly for days, was just ex- mm. extremely broken over it. Uh, he was 23 at, his t- at the time, and his father, Vernon, both wept throughout the entire service. Uh, and then a month later, he got shipped out to Germany. Jeez. So it was just like a, a lot going on at the same time. In Germany, Elvis served as any other soldier. He went on maneuvers. He performed all regular duties. He often did more than was required uh, just to make sure that he wasn't giving the impression that he got special treatment. Mm-hmm. And he really did try to avoid – there were scheduled times sometimes for press or for media. Mm-hmm. But he wanted as much as possible to just try and live a normal life. Which he's always kind of wanted. I mean, even when he was doing King Creole, he mm-hmm. just wanted to have a normal life, but no one would let him. So. Yeah. The, he earned medals for marksmanship. He received his sergeant stripes. Uh, so he did work his way up and had a, a good career in the military. So he's a sharpshooter, huh? But he also did choose to live off base during that time, which was a totally normal thing that anybody was able to do. But his wealth obviously made it easier for him to lease housing. And then he brought his family and his grandmother to stay with him during that time. Uh, and friends could come visit him just so mm. he wouldn't be alone. Weak. It, is, it is here and in that house. <laughs> we all get lonely sometimes. And it was in this house that he famously would meet Priscilla Bouillou. Oh, who was that? Priscilla Presley, eventually. Yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, a quick disclaimer. Because in talking about Priscilla, which is what we're going to do basically this entire episode, Mm -hmm. uh, there are two primary sources that I've used to research this period and her relationship with Elvis. The first is her memoir, Elvis and Me, which was her 1985 biography, Mm -hmm. uh, which also was later turned into a four-hour TV movie, which could be interesting to watch at some point. The second is Child Bride, the untold story of Priscilla Bellew by Suzanne Finstead, who's a really highly regarded lawyer uh, who then turned to doing a lot of biographer, journalist, style writing in true crime kind of an area most of the time. Is that kind of foreshadowing? Well, it's to say (laughs) that she is a very thorough researcher and she did extensive interviews with Priscilla herself, even though she didn't end up endorsing the project, project, she did cooperate in interviews, but also interviewed lots of family members, close friends of both Priscilla and Elvis and people who worked for him. So she's a very reliable source is is the main point because her stuff is going to counter a lot of what Priscilla put forth in her own biography. Interesting. Yeah, they both they both express some very significantly different views, and we will get Ooh, into it. That's exciting to dive into. 
So Priscilla grew up in a military family. Her father, her stepfather, Paul Bouillou, was an Air Force officer. And so they were just moving constantly base to base. Mm -hmm. They settled eventually in Texas when she was in late elementary school or middle school, where Paul bought her her first Elvis record. (laughs) And then upon seeing him perform on television, Priscilla's mother stated he was a bad influence for teenage girls. He arouses things in them that shouldn't be aroused. If there is ever a mother's march against Elvis Presley, I'll be the first in line. Whoa. I mean, sexual awakening has to start at some point, right? Yeah, but he's a liberator sexually, I think. (laughs) And they didn't like that. Reserved but friendly, Priscilla began to settle into her life in Texas when her father was suddenly transferred to West Germany. Living in a building they discovered was a brothel, she was cut off from other English-speaking children her age, spent much of her days listening to records by Frankie Avalon, the Everly Brothers, and Elvis at the Eagles Club, which was a community center for American servicemen and their families. Quote, I was sitting with my brother Don when I noticed a handsome man in his 20s staring at me. She is 14 at the time. (laughs) I had seen him watching me before, but I never paid any attention to him. This time he stood up and walked towards me. He introduced himself as Curry Grant and asked my name. Priscilla Beaulieu, I said, immediately suspicious, as he was much older than I. He asked where in the States I came from, how I liked Germany, and if I liked Elvis Presley. Of course, I said, laughing. Who doesn't? I'm a good friend of his. My wife and I go to his house quite often. How would you like to join us one evening? Was he like, was this like Epstein's wife? Is he like scoping her to like bring her to Elvis? So Priscilla would eventually, I, I, he, we'll, we'll talk about Curry Grant no in a answer. second. But, Ooh. This uh, is getting dark. All right. <laughs> it's... It's going to get very... Is this going to end in like an eyes wide shut occult orgy? No, but it doesn't go great. (laughs) Uh, Skeptical about this offer, but still interested, Priscilla would eventually convince her parents to allow her to join the Grants when they next would go go to visit Elvis. Paul, will you... Hold on, hold on. So her mother doesn't want her listening to the records, but then she lets her go to his house. Everything that I'm reading up... At this point is on in Priscilla's own biography, which is very conflicting, and we will talk about the parts okay. that are not true. But, but this is Priscilla's account, her own personal account of what happened. But in the Michael Jackson documentary, also this kind of thing would happen too, where it's like when I don't know what income was she at? Like was she lower income? No, I mean her dad her dad was a captain, so he was like an officer level okay. Okay. in the military. So just like middle. Better better, yeah. Okay. Cause like in in the Michael Jackson documentary, a lot of people would go along with these totally not okay things because suddenly you have someone who had a lot of wealth mm-hmm. and power and fame, mm-hmm. and the parents would totally flip on their their viewpoints. So maybe mm-hmm. there's a little bit of that going on, but possible, or maybe she's lying. Well, mm. she is. So one, <laughs> so according to Priscilla, one night Curry Grant came over to meet her parents. To assure that Priscilla would be well chaperoned during the visit. So not too long after he, his wife, and Priscilla made the drive from Weisbaden to Bad Neuheim, where Elvis was stationed. They arrived to find an ordinary-looking three-story house with a picket fence and a sign out front in German reading autographs between 7 and 8 p.m. only. A group of German teenagers gathered around outside, hoping to catch a glimpse of Elvis. Here is Priscilla's account of their first meeting in Presley's family living room. Hmm. Elvis, Curie said, this is Priscilla Beaulieu, the girl I told you about. We shook hands and he said, hi, Wait, I'm Elvis Presley. Sorry to stop one more time. This would be amazing if we acted it out. If we just got the dialogue pieces. Okay, fine. I, the Elvis voice. Here. <laughs> How, here, I'm going to narrate. I'm going to do a very Priscilla. little girl voice. <laughs> but I don't want to be too jokey about this because it doesn't, I don't want to be like really jokey. Let's just try it. And okay. if it's bad, then we will I'm just go saying. back to the normal way. Okay. Elvis, Curry said. This is Priscilla Beaulieu, the girl I told you about. We shook hands and he said, Hi, I'm Elvis Presley. 
but there was a silence between us, and Elvis asked me to sit down beside him, and Curry drifted off. So, Elvis said, Do you, uh, go to school? Yeah. What are you, uh, about a junior or singer high, senior in high school? I blushed and said nothing, not willing to reveal that I was only in the ninth grade. Well? He persisted. Ninth. Elvis looked confused. Uh, 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 ninth what? Grade. I whispered. Ninth grade. He said and started laughing. <laughs> Why, you're just a baby. Oh, God. <laughs> Keep going. Thanks. I said curtly. Not even Elvis Presley had the right to say that to me. Well, seems the little girl has spunk, I feel. He said, <laughs> laughing again. Keep going. He said, laughing again, amused by my response. He gave me that charming smile of his and all my resentment just melted away. Let's say that's the last time we acted out, but I still like that. But let's not act that that's out fair. anymore. It's, I'm guessing it gets way worse from here. Yeah, I mean, I've also tried to explain, stay away, I'll imply, but stay away from really explicit stuff. But, yes. So, should we all just... Take a second, think about what we were doing in ninth grade. What were 20-somethings to us? I mean, like, definitely someone I, that was like... Elvis is 24. So graduated college. So 10 years old, a 24 and a 14-year-old. Like, if that was definitely trusted adult figures. I think I even had, like, uncles and stuff that were, like, in that age. Definitely. Like, later 20s or something. So, that's crazy. Now I I do want to make a quick note here, which is I'll just I'm just gonna read this out about age of consent in the United States up to Ooh. this point. Because we are sixty years removed from this event, but we are also not too far away from age of consent being raised from ten or twelve in the Ooh. United States Whoa. during that time. So uh, so this takes place in nineteen nineteen fifty we're talking about nineteen fifty-nine right now, but while the general ages of consent are now beset between sixteen and eighteen in all US states, the age of consent had widely varied across the country. In the past, 1880, ages of consent were set at 10 or 12 in most Ooh, states. Now, that is only 70 years, 75 years before we get here. Sexual consent, this age of consent God. was 10 or 12. That's oh. like some medieval shit. With the exception of Delaware, where it was seven. Ugh. Nope. Where were we when we were seven years old? Well, let's not get into that. Uh, yeah, no, I don't want to go there. The ages of consent were raised across the U.S. during the late 19th century and early 20th century. By 1920, ages of consent generally rose to 16 or 18, and small adjustments to these laws occurred after 1920. The final state to raise its age of general consent was Hawaii, which changed it from 14 to 16 in 2001. Ooh. It wasn't until after the 1995 Landry and Forrest study that concluded men aged 20 and older produced half of teenage pregnancies between <gasps> of girls between 15 and 17 oh that states God. finally began to more stringently enforce age of consent laws. Uh-uh. Even though it was also to prevent adults taking advantage of minors, it was more because they were concerned about the statistics of teenage pregnancy. Now, I will say, as, you know, whatever as this is, people who do grow up in military families and move around a lot do tend to grow up faster than Children who stay at home and have a much more stable lifestyle and childhood. Hmm. And combined with the fact that, like they're saying, age of consent had only really risen in the late 1800s, early 1900s. So they're about a half century out from it becoming normalized. So after the first encounter with Elvis, she would go on to meet the rest of his family that night, watch Elvis eat five bacon and mustard sandwiches made by his grandmother, Minnie Mae Presley. And listen to him express his concerns that no one would be interested in his movies or music when he returned to the States because he had been gone for two years. And he hadn't he, had, he wasn't making anything during this time. There's a couple of singles that he had recorded before he left to just be released like casually so that people would remember that he existed. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, there was outside of very minimal media. There was he had no 
he had no creative contact with the rest of the world during this time. Now that we've gotten to the point where they've actually met, we need to take a step back and we're going to look at Finstead's view, who has wrote Child Bride, of young Priscilla and her family as outlined in her book. Priscilla's mother, Anne, was the youngest of three children born to Norwegian immigrants in 1926, and at the age of 15 at a USO function fell in love herself with a 20-year-old enlisted Navy man named James Wagner. They hid their romantic relationship. Anna dropped out of school her junior year to work and save money to one day marry him. At 18, they eloped, and Anna's parents seemingly more discouraged from the union that Jimmy was not of higher social status rather than the difference in their ages. I mean, five years, it's not that bad. I mean, it is. I feel like it is when you're that young. I, it's, it's I, always I, I know it, people who have done worse. But the so. thing is, to me, when it starts, right? Like, mm-hmm. like, for example, my grandmother and her second husband are... 18 years apart, but they didn't know each other till she was in her late 20s, yeah. right? So those kinds of things are totally normal. It's more about like where you're at mentally as an adult. Yeah, but it's being like, taken advantage it's of just so it. weird for me to think of a 14-year-old falling in love with a 24-year-old, yeah. just being compatible on any level. Mm-hmm. The wedding was still very sudden and potentially forced by fear of pregnancy out of wedlock rather than design, as she would give birth to Priscilla almost exactly nine months later. Mm. Yeah, it happens. Pretty soon after, though, unfortunately, after Priscilla was born, Jimmy Wagner would die in a plane crash, making Anne, in the words of her best friend, a bride, a mother, and a widow within a year. Ooh. Wow. Anna's depression over the loss of her husband and co-parent would eventually work its way out through her obsession with filling her own dreams of making Priscilla into a child beauty pageant star and model. From a family of actors but not actually a performer herself, Anna encouraged her daughter to sing, dance, and put on a show for any neighbor, family member, or stranger that they encountered. The support and love of her late husband's family was just as important a force in her life during this period until she would agree to remarry with Paul Bilyeu, who was an ex-Marine and businessman, only on the condition forced by his jealousy of her first love that she would have to destroy all evidence of her first marriage and act as though he never existed. Wow. Red flag, maybe. (laughs) Yeah. They then would tell three-year-old Priscilla that Paul was her real father the entire time. They would move to Texas, and Anne would be forced to cease all communication with her ex-husband's family. And after Christmas of 1949, they would never hear from her again. The family would move constantly from base to base after Paul re-enlisted in the Air Force. Anne made sure Priscilla was the best-dressed and most attractive of attention at every school function from a young age. Anne and Paul would have more children, but the family functioned more like two separate unions, Priscilla and her mother, and Paul with his own children. Mm. A poor student but a social performer, Priscilla often proclaimed in her tweens that she would one day marry Elvis. <laughs> she subscribed to fan clubs, read magazines, and poured over his records constantly. Anne continued pushing Priscilla to express her beauty publicly and competitively, as and there were allegations of even bribery to judges at a sixth-grade contest for a king and queen of the Popham Halloween Carnival, at which Priscilla would end up being crowned over her best friend she's, in controversy. She's being pushed by who, exactly? Her mom. Okay. Anne. Soon after this time, Priscilla would discover a hidden trunk that contained a flag, a picture of her, her mother, and a man she would not recognize, but was her father. So she didn't destroy it because she still... Not everything. She was was hysterical and confused until her mother admitted the truth, with the promise that Priscilla could never repeat this information to anyone. And after giving her a locket with a picture of her father in it, Anne would never mention her first husband to her daughter again. Jeez. She would wear the locket thereafter and in times of pain or heartache would look upon the man in the picture as somebody who she felt a great sense of loss for but never really knew. Okay. Who actually loved her, unlike I'm assuming Mm -hmm. her stepfather. Well, it sounds like emotionally being primed for an adult figure to come in and swoop her up. Throughout junior high, Priscilla was encouraged by her mother to regularly date high school boys that were four or five years older than her. uh -uh. And she gained a reputation for running with a promiscuous crowd. She began to fit in and became a more popular student at the school until it was announced that they were moving to Germany suddenly. Mm. 
Curry Grant, who she would meet in Germany and would eventually introduce her to Elvis, was 28 years old, was a local celebrity at the base for hosting Saturday Night's Hit Parade at the Eagle Club, where he was assistant manager. Despite being married with two children, he was known as the Club Casanova and did not neglect the arrival of 14-year-old Priscilla. He says, She was one of the most beautiful things I had ever seen. She carried herself like a princess. When she walked away, I kind of watched her and two grown men stopped and watched as she went past. This tells you a million things right there. They couldn't keep their eyes off her. Her face was that beautiful. From then on, I felt the same way. You can't see it, but I'm cringing so hard right now. A 28-year-old talking about a 14-year-old. Oh, God. I mean... I'm sure she looked older than 14, but you can and only look so old yes, they, as a 14 They do year old. repeatedly say that she looked mature, mature, but it's one of those things where it's... Come on. No matter what, she is a child. You've mentioned there's discrepancies between Priscilla's account and Finstead's account. Is that still... Is that debate still going on right now, or do most people tend mm-hmm. to align with another? Because it's, it's scary to get in the territory of, like, questioning the victim in this situation. It's more the case of... Mm. This book, the book that Finstead wrote came out in 1995, I think. Priscilla's autobiography was 1985. And basically, it was a shattering all the myths about Elvis kind of a book. And this and this situation, at least his relationship with Priscilla. Priscilla's was? Or no, Finstead's? Finstead's was. It's a very highly regarded, well-researched mm. is the one that Finstead wrote. wrote. Okay. There's a huge mystique which we'll kind of talk about later moving forward about Priscilla because she was very unknown to the world for the most part. And for a large duration of her relationship with Elvis, people really didn't know anything about her. She didn't really offer up many interviews or wasn't a public figure at all. She was kind of a hidden away younger figure that people knew about but didn't know anything about. That's kind of surprising based on how she was like groomed by her mother mm. to stand out and mm-hmm. be desired. It's kind of funny that she would step back. In Elvis and Me... Priscilla claims to have been approached by Curry himself about meeting Elvis, where in Finstead's account, backed by Curry, his wife, and the club director who were there at the same time, Priscilla was the one who first approached him. Yeah, but those are the people who would naturally want to defend themselves and naturally involved in scoping this little girl out. But we'll we'll keep talking about it. Priscilla approached him as she knew he was acquainted with Elvis because he ran the hip parade. I'll give you that. In interviews, Priscilla's story has repeatedly changed order, place, and time, even after she published her own official account in the book. Okay. We'll we'll get to the full story. Yeah, yeah. I mean, regardless of who approached who, when we find out she's 14 years old, this should be shut down. There's plenty of things that Curry... By the adult. Which we'll get into. There's so many things that Curry admits and testifies to that are true, that it is... Why would he lie about insignificant things compared to the things he 100% comps to and says are totally true? Okay. So Finstead ended up bringing Curry and Priscilla together for a joint interview about the event. Even then, the transcript shows that they fight over who approached who. Priscilla alters and corrects the details of her own memory multiple times over the course of the single conversation, going on to proclaim she barely even knew who Elvis was or knew that he was even in Germany at all, despite overwhelming documentation from friends and family that she was a dedicated, if not obsessed fan her entire childhood, and writing in her own book that she calculated the distance between their homes while living in Texas. Okay. However, the issue of who approached is pretty much just secondary to the events that unfolded after. Yeah, of course. She's a child. She's going to be excited (laughs) about a hero. I won't go into exact details, but Curry unashamedly accounts that he led Priscilla on for weeks that he would take her to meet Elvis, eventually to the point where he cornered her into exchanging sexual favors over Ooh. multiple instances for the opportunity to with finally meet him. With him or with Elvis? With him. With him, to oh, with him directly. Oh, no. Uh-uh. 
Though Priscilla fervently denies this and successfully sued him for defamation, Mike Edwards, who Priscilla would be partnered with, be a partner with for seven years, confirms that Priscilla admitted to Curry's version of events privately. Jeez. Accounts also confirm that Priscilla's parents had no qualms or concerns over the nature of her outings, either with Curry or Elvis, for this entire period. I wonder if that was, like, both her parents together or if that was more, like, her stepdad. Her father did have a lot of alcoholic tendencies and also kind of didn't really care about her yeah. very much because it wasn't his kid and it was the the jealous well, how, you know, of the previous husband and her mom had no didn't qualms have a lot to say we'll talk about it but she did not question a lot of oh. what was going on let's also take a moment to think about how messed up it is that in a culture it was more important for her to defend herself as like dedicated to or being in the situation and kind of virginal instead of being like i was taken advantage of by this this man and this man and this mm-hmm. man like back then you had to just make up maybe make up this narrative in which you were only with this one person. That's how like repressed it was. Well, what it ends up being is that she's defending Elvis. She's she, yes, you're right. Cool. Then we'll talk about it more. <laughs> Enough said. Though Priscilla's own account of meeting Elvis paints her as a nervous young fan in the glow of a star. It was actually Elvis who was in fact blown away when he met Priscilla. He even accidentally introduced himself as Elvis pretzel. <laughs> The 24-year-old Elvis was then seen passionately kissing the 14-year-old within 30 minutes of her arrival. And later they disappeared into his bedroom for over four hours, during (gasps) during which things purportedly turned more sexual, all while Elvis's entire family and friends were downstairs. What else is supposed to happen in four hours? Now, the other thing that, again, Elvis's family and everybody surrounding him never raises any issues. Yeah, they all know they're gone for four hours and no one does anything about it. Good grief. That, that is the, mm. the hard part in this, in redoing all of this research, is that everybody who's a part of the situation, like Curry at one point is like, yes, I know it was wrong and I shouldn't have done that. Not overly remorsefully, but they literally, everyone that was involved with it was like, everyone got what they wanted. That's basically what they all say, is that kind of the consensus is that Priscilla got what she wanted, which is she ends up with Elvis. And like they, they all, instead of looking at this, and being like, maybe she doesn't know what she wants because she's because <laughs> she's a child. She's very impressionable. Sure. Yeah, but the I point is, it, it, there's a lot of stuff that she denies that she doesn't have to deny, but is protecting her and Elvis's image. And there's a, it's just, it's Weird. very. I'm sure it's when you're tied up in money and there's a lot of stuff going on. It's very hard to parse out what is true and what is not, and what people's intentions are. So then eventually that night, after first meeting Elvis, she would return home at 2 a.m. to a slightly disgruntled but generally unbothered stepfather. Anne Bilyeu expressed nothing but excitement over her daughter's encounter. Ooh, no. Over the course of the next few months, Elvis and Priscilla would bond over the shared losses of their parents, Priscilla the father she never knew, and Elvis the mother that he never knew life without. Neither Anne nor Paul would raise any concerns or any ask any questions over the nature and intent of their relationship except for what time would you like us to have her ready? <gasps> Unfortunately, the only person who did bother to ask questions about Priscilla and Elvis's relationship was Curry Grant. As her de facto chauffeur, he was in full control of when she could see Elvis, and on the rides back from late nights in Bad Newheim, Curry would force Priscilla to give him explicit reports of their encounters and potentially use this leverage to sexually abuse her himself. Oh my god. <gasps> Complicating her position even further, Elvis was known to be visited by multiple teenagers over the course of his time in Germany, often one coming out of the bedroom as Priscilla was coming in. Oh. Oh, no. Is the only good person in show business Weird Al Yankovic? I think yes. he is. I think he's the only good guy in I show business. I met him one time at a book signing, and it was amazing. Because my dad's a huge fan. I hear he's a great guy. Elvis would hypocritically preach that he considered virginity sacred and that he would never date seriously or consider marrying a girl who had been with another man. 
Priscilla was not only then forced to maintain a relationship with her sexual abuser so she could gain access to Elvis, but she never revealed the abuse to Elvis and for fear of being devalued in his eyes. Jeez. Throughout this time, Priscilla would learn that Elvis learn Elvis's most personal secret. He experienced frequent performance anxiety as he was tired of living up to the sex symbol status that the world had given him. His insecurity and relative sexual immaturity through the majority of his life is the basis of what Finstead's child bride uses to explain his attraction to teenagers. This is it offering an explanation, but again, this is the same way that offering an explanation for why people kill people doesn't make it right. We're just trying to understand the psychology yeah, behind to it. Understand his psychology in this moment. Yeah. So this is what she says in the book. Quote. He was drawn to them both romantically and sexually because they were at the same level of sexual development. They were innocents, just arriving at the makeout stage of sexuality where Elvis felt most comfortable. They had little or no sexual experience by which to judge or criticize his performance. Because he had spent so much time with his mom and had never been, he had not really been out on his own a lot before he started getting this level yeah, of fame. Yeah, a lot of super musicians that are famous like this are just remain children developmentally for a lot of their life. That's why if you watch some kind of monster, the Metallica documentary, it's just a bunch of 30 plus 40 year old children that are fighting over like little mundane stuff. There's the George Clooney quote, quote which is whenever you get famous is the age that you stop maturing from. Mm. And, you know, it, people who have known nothing but fame for their entire, you know, teenage into adult life, just it, it's, it's impossible it for us to, to think about the way that you function then. Over the course of the next five months, Priscilla would meet with Elvis on and off until he completed his 18-month stint in Germany and arrived back in the U.S. where he was honorably discharged on March 5th, 1960. So, there you have it. That's basically the story. There's a, there's even more details. There's other stuff about how he apparently was not interested in explicit sex as much because he was just very uncomfortable and nervous with it. And because they said it was similar to Marilyn Monroe where though they were a sex symbol – they didn't actually sexually express themselves that way very much because they were so insecure about living up to their own the yeah. ideas about themselves yeah. that the world had. Mm. So is Priscilla saying this? What, what's saying what specifically? That they were so that they were like sexually immature and that they weren't actually doing anything. They were that, both that nervous is, and that scared is, of each that other. That is Finstead's observation of the situation. That is not a direct quote. That is Finstead's observation of how we can explain why this was the pattern that Elvis was into. What was her evidence for this, though? Is there any accounts, or is she just essentially riffing on the psychology based off well, outside observation? Because of a accounts? lot of Elvis and Priscilla's relationship, he called, he was like the little sister, and it's like, you're like a little sister to me, and they did spend a lot, like he, they would say that even when he was at Graceland, when he was with his mom, who would be with him a lot more of the time in the room where she wasn't anymore after she died, mm -hmm. that really it was, he would hang out with teenage girls, but he would, he just liked talking and being around them because they were around the same maturity level that he was in some sure. ways. So it's still, it's still a psychologist coming up with a uh, conclusion oh, totally. yes. that's not necessarily true unless we have actual. No, but without Elvis directly saying it himself, how yeah, will we ever know it? Yeah, that's all I'm, so, yes. that's all I'm trying to oh, say. Yeah. So Priscilla never said it. Elvis never said that no, I mean, he had Priscilla, these performance issues. Priscilla has accounted, no, Priscilla has accounted that he didn't like penetrative sex. Okay. And that the things, yes, the, the evidence is based on accounts, but not explicitly saying he's sexually immature because he was stunted because of these things. Mm-hmm. But it is. But based, she did based express on the that he had performance evidence. issues and yes. fear, and yes. and, also and apparently like he might have been uncircumcised, so he was really uncomfortable about that, and that he had a smaller than average manhood, maybe, <laughs> and so he also was very uncomfortable about that as well. Mm. So, and the other thing they were saying is that he didn't 
because he would sleep in the same room with his parents. Another thing is like growing up at that time when there's like locker rooms, you're changing constantly. And other stuff is that he just wasn't he would change in front of other people, but he never felt as comfortable with his own body. Ironically, the way that other people can you did. imagine being haunted by this giant specter of what you're supposed to be like physically and sexually all the time? I mean, like it's one thing creatively to be like, are you as good as your last album? It's another thing to mm-hmm. be like, are you just as a human I- as valuable as we think you are? Yeah, your identity is completely wrapped up in this thing. So, Man, what a messy... So end. there you go. That's the start of their relationship. Oof. Ooh, yeah. She also... Another thing I didn't talk about, but I saw on the research, was that she would go through all of Elvis's fan mail, and she would pick out the things that she knew Elvis liked and try to dress and conform herself to what she knew so Elvis she was into. became his mother. Yeah, they, they also mentioned yeah, they they had a weird... She was his mother, and he was her father, in a, that Ooh, kind of yeah. a relationship. And that it's it was just a perfect storm of weird things that made this unfortunately possible well this has been a difficult one to talk about but i'm glad we did because it really really changes everything from what we've been watching up to this point Mm -hmm. it's going to be impossible not to bring this into probably every conversation Mm -hmm. we have about his films and his relationship with priscilla goes for a basically the rest of his life in some form or another so she will always be a presence that we will talk about yeah i'm gonna do my best to still view the movie both just as a viewer without this information, and then also probably it's going to definitely be a lens through which we judge so many things he does in these movies as sure. well. But hopefully we'll be able to still do both. It really opens up a lot. So I'm assuming in the movies before, because I haven't watched any of the movies, all his romantic interests are supposed to be his age. I mean, yeah, I would say that roughly. There, There's never a, like, they don't really explicitly define anyone's ages in the movies. But it doesn't seem to be crushed on any teenagers in any of his films he's in some of his films he's a high schooler and they're also high schoolers but it's nothing like this no yeah it's not this extreme that's different all right well uh it's complex messy situation and after this after they're together right he returns home Mm -hmm. after being honorably discharged and then makes this film so this is on his mind while he's she's on his mind while he's making this movie correct in some form probably yes That concludes this episode. This is actually going to be a two-parter since we had so much to talk about this time. We're going to watch GI Blues in the next episode and talk about it. So we'll send you off with a little bit of the GI Blues trailer. See you next time. Paramount's rousing, rollicking story of America's ever-loving overseas GIs with a skyrocketing star who really lived it. It's a three-day pass at those frolicking froyleins, but the dancing darling who blocks every pass has all the GIs in a spin. And guess who the boys are betting on to break through her defenses? It's Elvis on a love campaign no guy or gal should miss. A Lieber. For those who do not understand, Lieber translated means love. Oh, you don't have to explain that to a GI. That's one of the first words he learns when he gets over here. Oh, you too, Tulsa. You ever, you ever, you ever get, you ever get one, you ever get one of them, you ever get one of them,